Welcome to the Roboticist Chronicles, an ARC Specialties podcast, where we get into the nuts and bolts of robots, automation, and the implications of an evolving machine workforce. Hello, this is Dan Alford with the Roboticist Chronicles, where we discuss robotics and its effect on society. Today is January 20th, 2021. It's the day of the inauguration of a new president, and we're one year into the COVID pandemic. I include this because it really affects our economy here in America. Today, we have a very special guest, Bob Little with ATI. ATI builds the tool changers and tools for robots because when the robots are built, they have nothing at the end of the arm. They cannot contribute to uh, society in any way unless you tool them up, and that's what Bob does for us. Welcome to the program, Bob. Hey, Dan. Thanks for inviting me. I got to give a little background on why we're doing this podcast today and the way we're doing it. Over the last few years, Bob would call me up and get my view of the robotics industry and my predictions. And I always told him, I said, my, my view is kind of narrow. His is wide because uh, I think ATI is pretty much the default for tool changers. So he sees a bigger picture. But we thought maybe somebody else would enjoy this. So we've invited Bob on. He's, he's a really fascinating person with an amazing range of life experience. He started as a paratrooper in the 82nd. And Bob, I don't, I don't think I ever told you this. My dad jumped into France with a bazooka with a 551st, and 80% of the paratroopers were killed. And then what was left was absorbed into the 82nd. So, wow. Yeah. So wow. my dad was one of your predecessors. Well, I, I want to say uh, I appreciate uh, hearing that because, you know, anytime I, I, my father was in a service as well, you know, what my parent, parents and your parents went through in uh, World War II was absolutely amazing. Oh, yeah. It, uh, it, was, it was tough times. Uh, you know, obviously, my dad was one of the 20 percent that did survive. Otherwise, we wouldn't yes. have a conversation. But just hard to imagine going into battle and, and losing 80 percent of your friends. I know. Unbelievable. Ah, but let's see. Uh, you have multiple mechanical engineering degrees. And in, in 89, you founded ATI and you've been an entrepreneur ever since. Well, I don't look at it as an entrepreneurial kind of thing. You know, we started a company. We had a good product. And from my perspective, we were just running a company. Well, it's become an essential part of our company, whether we're, uh, no matter what we're doing, the robot needs to have multiple tools and it doesn't have a hand to pick them up. So it needs a tool changer. So that's, that's how Bob and I collaborate. But uh, the point of this call today was our, our two slightly differing views of the robotics industry, where we're at and where we're heading. Take it, Bob. What do you think? Uh, well, first of all, you know, we, we have to take a, a past look what, what what has been going on in the, in, in the robotics industry. And uh, the robotics industry has been hit twice. Everybody knows that the COVID hit. And, and not all robot companies were treated equal. If you had uh, a lot of aerospace, I know one integrator that does, you were hurt a lot worse than anyone else. And I say aerospace, you've got to be careful, commercial aircraft. Commercial aircraft, absolutely stunning blow to some, some of my integrator friends. Automotive, similarly, uh, but not completely, but similarly. Medical, you are on fire. If you had anything to do in the medical industry as an integrator, your sales are higher. I mean, they're probably 20, 30, 40% higher. So you have this mixed mash of, of, uh, of, of bad and good. But COVID was, is not the only crisis that has occurred in the robotics industry. What people are not familiar with is the decline in automotive since 2017. And there has been a, uh, a decline worldwide 
in investment in automotive with robotics. And it, you know, there's a, a combination of reasons for that. Uh, interest rates, if you remember, were raised in 2016. Uh, that started an, an effect for uh, getting loans on cars and sales started to taper off. Uh, in addition, uh, the diesel problem we all remember from Volkswagen occurred around then. Well, that caused some laws to be passed in Europe that basically was outlawing diesel for the future. So uh, European automotive companies had to start reconfiguring. And then finally, we all think that China's been on this massive growth on automotive. But in uh, around late 2017, they actually declined. They actually fell over 5% in automotive sales. So all the automotive companies had to shore up. And all of a sudden, there was articles going around that they had overcapacity. Uh, so the robot industry uh, took a hit. It started in, in 2017 and worked its way through into 2019. And 2019 was a bad, bad year for robotics, a really bad year. So 2020 was supposed to be our recovery year. That's the year that we were supposed to, 2019, we hit bottom and we're going to slowly work our way out of it. So here we are feeling pretty good uh, into in the 2020. And I will tell you, ATI, because we follow the, we track the robot market. So when the robot market's down, we're down. And when the robot market's up, we're up. We were up in early 2020. Wow. It was, it was going to be a good year. And then COVID hits. So we got double whammied. The robot market got double whammed. And now we're out of that. 2021 is going to be a fantastic year for robotics because it's going to be a fantastic year for manufacturers. And it's going to be a, and the manufacturers are, have recognized, many of them, that they need to automate. I see sort of a surge in robotics that it's already started and will continue for years to come because the COVID's behind us the automotive recessions behind us. And there's been an enlightenment. There's been an enlightenment because when I talk to companies, manufacturers, they want to automate. Uh, they, they, they want to be able to improve their processes. They want to be more productive. They say this and 2020 kind of gave an urgency to that that is still there. They just need to find the money. The great news is with interest rates as low as they are, the amount of volume of money now for, for, for loaning is there. Money is not, not going to be as hard to get as it was in the past. And between manufacturers investing, and also I want to make a mention, companies like Arc Specialties, you guys haven't been standing still. You've advanced your technology. Indeed. Yeah. You're not the only one. ATI itself we didn't have as many customers in 2020, but we sure had all the same amount of engineers. And guess what happens when customers aren't bugging you so much about little things, your engineers can focus on the deeper things. And so what's come out of 2020 is an absolutely fantastic new product portfolio coming out of ATI, but it's also coming out of a lot of other companies like uh, many robot companies itself. I mean, take a look at Fanex uh, CRX robot. That robot came out Actually, it came out in late 2019, but the, the crisis hit. And But FANA kind of needed that extra time. They weren't quite finished with, with the manufacturing of the robot. And so 2020 gave them that pause, that break, that they needed to shore up the product line. And now 
the CRX robot is on full tilt, you know, in in the 2021. That 2020 pause gave companies who chose to invest the time, and a lot did, a whole slew of new and better product. That's my two cents on on the market. Well, you know, wind back to to automotive. Maybe some people are unaware, but the robotic companies view the world as two segments automotive and general industry. And typically automotive dwarfs the general industry component of that robotic pie chart. So, uh, you know, that's people that aren't into robots don't realize just how big a part of our world is, is automotive. And the trend has been to increase that piece of the pie that is general industry, which is my world. Apparently, mm-hmm. you're more immersed in the automotive. So, you know, when automotive's down, robots are down. But I'm, I'm hoping in the future that's not going to be the case because as uh, robots uh, move into all the other segments of industry, uh, we won't be living and dying by the automotive group. Uh, I, I, I am with you. By the way, you could have had this conversation 30 years ago. Year over year, people tell me, you know, that, that, that we need to get out of the automotive. It's too cyclical. It's not, it's not good for the industry. But I have a, I have a message that I, I tell my employees and I tell everyone. I just go where the robots go. Indeed. Okay? I don't make the robots. I make the end effector. And, and so if, if the robot companies don't penetrate a market, I can't penetrate the market. So I'm very, very reliant on integrators in robot companies creating that path. I will follow that path. And, and so, of course, I want other markets to surge. And um, but if you look at the history, there's been a, there's been growth in uh, in medical and there's been growth in electrical assembly. Uh, there's been growth in aerospace and a variety of other markets. Uh, but automotive has been the most steady eddy. I hate to say this. It may be cyclical, but it, it's a lighthouse. It is out there. It is beaming. It continues to 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 show amazing strength over the last 30 years. And um, I do see other markets uh, uh, growing. There is no other market in the short term that will excel to the point where automotive becomes number two. Not yet. Not, it may happen in the future. But what the interesting thing is, I think, is that the variety of applications that are out there now. And I would say the difference between uh, the robot market than it was when we first started ATI and where it is now is the variety. For example, this 3D printing, uh, and you're probably very, very familiar with this market, it's caught on fire. There's a company out there that's 3D printing rockets. There is companies out there that are 3D printing car parts and want to 3D print the whole car on a mass scale. All of these- We've gotten into the 3D printing and, you know, of course, uh, 3D printing for most people is plastics. Well, my world is metal, so that the mm-hmm. plastics aren't all that relevant. And oddly enough, uh, welding is the original additive manufacturing technique. You know, it's 100 That's years true. old. And so it's, it's an easy deal for our specialties to apply our welding and motion control technology to additive. And the thing I like about it, Bob, is it's such a uh, industry in its infancy that nobody knows how this is going to evolve. In in 15 years, it's going to be boring because uh, all the machines will look alike. But right now, there's a lot of room for innovation. For example, most people will use a, a bed and then build a part up from the bed. Uh, right. To us, that doesn't make any sense uh, because if you have the robot actually hold the part, then you can reorient the part 
to optimize gravity. And that way the force is with you while you're building the part. Okay, will our way become the way? We don't know. But at this point, there's so much room for innovation. We're having a lot of fun with it. And it's soft, it's driven by software, robot technology, and welding technology. So yeah, that, that's been a good one for us. That's been an area where we've gotten some traction lately and sold some machines, you know, not in quantity. It's it's still at the R and D level, but their parts getting into right. the field now. And that's an example. It's a young industry. 3D printing has many decades of advancement to go. And so that's just an example of one area where robots have are playing a bigger role. But then one could say, well, then 3D printing, you know, could turn out to be a big industry. Well, I hate to say this, but 3D printing is in itself partially automotive because there's a lot of automotive companies that want to make their parts in the 3D printing world. What's interesting about robotic, uh, I'm sorry, about automotive for a second, is that there's more and more applications that are becoming automated. And this whole EV market is one of those areas. So uh, battery manufacturing, huge industry and going to get a lot bigger. Uh, big area for robotics. Um, but what's interesting is, is that when you're building EV cars, you're not building them in the mass quantity as you would an automobile or an SUV. What's happening is a, an interesting item that is going on in EV is they're setting up a miniature factories and they're setting up manufacturing into a much smaller scale. And um, their point is, you know, we're only going to build 10,000 of these EVs a year. So let's set up a factory that's designed for 10,000, not half a million. Hmm. And in that case, there is a lot of interesting techniques that are going on that are very flexible that make a lot of sense. 3D printing is an example of something that some of the components being made might make sense when you're only making them anywhere from 1,000 to 10,000 a year. And so some of the robotic techniques also that are being used are, are quite interesting because when you're only, you have a miniature factory, you could say, well, if I'm, I'm only gonna build 10,000 of these cars, but I'm gonna have a thousand, I'm gonna have uh, 10, 20 varieties of these 10,000 cars. Well, robots come in uh, and they can be, have this extreme flexibility uh, to constantly be changing the manufacturing environment to tune what is going to be made in a car. And, and that's one of the reasons, by the way, I'm telling you that there's going to be a surge in automotive is because the, the electrical vehicle market is in its infancy still. And I know Tesla, I give them a lot of credit. From Tesla's point of view, they're in stage two, right? I mean, they're on fire. Uh, but for most of the manufacturers, of electrical vehicles were in its infancy. And in that case, there's a lot of room to grow and there's a lot of robotics that are needed in that. This is why I enjoy our conversations, Bob, because you know you, your world is robots, obviously. And since uh, that's largely automotive, you know that's your perspective. I, as our specialties, we've intentionally avoided that industry for many, many years because when you have that many integrators in any given industry, uh, it's competitive margins drop. That's that's the free market system. Nothing wrong with that, but I, I tend to have avoided that. And since we're down here in Texas, where uh, we have a few oil wells and all the oil technology for the entire world, that's kind of been my perspective for many many years. Some years, eighty percent of our work would be uh, petroleum related. Now, in this last year, uh, it was down below twenty. So you you talked about this drop in automotive. Well, down from my perspective, there was a huge drop in oil because with the lockdown, there was 
less use of petroleum all around the world. Right now, petroleum mm-hmm. kind of has a bad name. The price of oil dropped from over $100 a barrel to, I think it was 25 or 30. You know, that's huge. And so my world went away. You know, it, like I said, if that was 80% of my work and uh, most of that went away and it's kind of an interesting deal. It's forced us to be less complacent. So it's forced us into exactly the fields you're talking about. We're doing electric vehicles. We're building ships. We're building gasoline car parts, uh, doing a lot of additive, you know, in the R&D realm now, not so much production and, and then the medical. So it's forced us out of our comfort zone into new geographies, new industries. And in the end, that'll be beneficial to us. But what's kind of interesting, Bob, and I haven't told you this yet, is I'm starting to get inquiries from the Middle East where we're starting to put a lot of our machines now uh, Mm -hmm. because many of these Mm -hmm. countries are absolutely dependent on revenues from oils. So their politics are not against oil at all. And so I think that I may not see a renaissance in oil production here in the U.S., but I will around the world. And all that technology comes from Houston. So that's yeah. keeping up too. Well, I'll tell you something. Your services are absolutely needed. Uh, from what I see, your technology is really extremely useful in a variety of industries. And so sometimes, I hate to say this, it's a blessing that sometimes we fall down. Okay. And because it gets us to, to, to realize, okay, uh, maybe automotive is not, is not doing well. I better look for something else. Maybe the oil patch is not doing well. I better look for something. It forces us to go out of our comfort zone. And when that happens, customers in other industries benefit because the technology you have, nobody's ever seen before in some cases. Okay. Some of the work that you've done and your skill set, they haven't seen it because you never had to go looking for them. All right. And you've been forced to to do that. I've, one of the books I finished recently was a book called Range, and it kind of uh, claims that, that Maxwell's theorem that you have to have 10,000 hours of practice before you get good at anything, it, it contradicts that. It says that in a what he calls a kind world where you get feedback that's immediate and understandable, then lots and lots of practice works. But in our world, you know, what you and I do, uh, you don't get the good feedback. And so they calls that a wicked world. And he says that in a wicked world, specialists fail and generalists succeed because generalists use analogous thinking is is the term he likes. And analogous thinking Mm -hmm. is simply you take a solution that you've applied to another problem and then you notice the pattern and you say, ah, okay, this is really similar to what I did with potato skins, even though now we're working on plutonium, who knows? And then you reapply that solution and you end up looking smart, but in reality, it's just an old solution reapplied. So yeah, the oil field is tough, man. We're working below a couple of miles of water and a couple of miles of rock. And so we've developed a lot of interesting technologies that don't always, but sometimes will apply to new areas. The same cladding that we use to uh, limit the effects of sour gas and hydrogen embrittlement in a in a subsea well, uh, a wellhead is used mm-hmm. on submarines to prevent corrosion in subs. So, yeah, you just have to look for these patterns and reapply them, uh, reapply your old solutions, and it, it works pretty well. So that that's what we've been doing is uh, taking what we know and applying it to new geographies and new industries. Yeah, and you're going to grow for it. And if the oil patch ever does come back. 
that's just going to be an extra plus to, to, to your company. Because at that point, you probably have grown some outside industries that you wouldn't have had before. And that's how we all expand our companies. Now, I have to tell you, you know, it doesn't always work. You lose a major customer and some companies don't survive. <laughs> it happens. I mean, uh, uh, so, uh, you know, it, we can't use a, just one. It, it's all true for everyone. But the people who do survive are the ones that realize that there is something more out there and they go, they go looking for it. But I will tell you, you know, th- there's an enormous amount of advancements that I'm seeing in technology, you know, that's been occurring kind of rapidly over the last two, three years. And what I've learned, some of these companies that are that are performing, performing this stuff, some of them are coming right out of a university, for example, is it kind of opens your eyes because you say to yourself, well, that, uh, that's interesting technology, but at the same time, I could do that. I mean, I, I kind of know how to do that already. I just not, I'm not going to take the time to push myself to go in that area because I don't know that I can make money in it. But then these other companies, startups come out and they get a lot of funding. And so they do take the time and to try to develop that market. There's more out there for us to garner, you know, and one could say if we have the time and the money, but also we have to have the vision and we have to have the determination to do it. 2020 has been kind of that, right? I mean, (laughs) I think a lot of us have had a significant decrease in revenue. And when that happens, we start looking for other alternatives, other customers in other areas. And for us, you know, for like, for example, you know, we, as you know, we recently got into material removal and robotics, I think are, is a great method for, you know, sanding, grinding, deburring. We, we got into it just as the crisis started. So we said, okay, uh, what are we going to do here? You know, obviously it's really hard to find these customers or we can find them, but they don't have any money. So what we did is we, we, we said, you know, we're going to create these demonstration cells. And what the purpose of this demonstration cell is, is uh, you send us your part and tell us what you want to material removal on it, deburg, sand grind. And we'll, we'll, we'll uh, chuck it up and uh, we'll take some time to figure it out. And then we'll deburr it or grind it or sand it, shoot a video, send it back to you and says, our tool, this is how our tools work on your part. And so that that's a small income, but it was it was something that we could be doing, you know, for our customer base that was able to answer questions. Can robots deburr, sand, or grind? The answer is yes or no. Here's the proof if it's yes. So that was a, a, a kind of an alternative market that we kind of jumped into that now it's an absolute thing we have to have because I'm finding customers really appreciate getting a chance to test something out without actually spending so much money and then finding out they didn't like it. Well, thank goodness you and a few others, you know, like you didn't give up and quit. You know, what's the old Crosby Stills song? Uh, We never fail to fail. It was the easiest thing to do. That's the Mm -hmm. easiest thing to do is just quit and give up. But uh, my uh, employee count is up and we're and we're looking for people. Sounds like you're in the same boat. You know, it was risky. It was scary. I lost a little sleep. I suspect you did, too. But uh, yeah, we're doing the same thing. Bob, I got a question for you because uh, you got a better perspective than I do on this. But I have the distinct impression that part of the reason that ARC is doing well is that some of the other integrators are either no longer out there 
or not working every day. You know, one thing we did is we had a letter from the Undersecretary of Defense saying we're part of the critical infrastructure, and we use that as kind of a uh, license to continue to work every day because you can't build robots from home. So uh, I always like to try to figure out why we're succeeding. So you know, maybe we can repeat it again later. But I'm. We've gotten into, like I said, new industries, new geographies, and new customers. Uh, mm. Coincidence, or, or what do you think? I haven't seen a lot of my good, cust- you know, my good integrators fail. From that perspective, they've been holding tight. Some of them have had to shrink. Hate to say that, you know, uh, lose some manpower, and it's always sad to see. But you know, to be upfront with you again, the automotive recession came before the COVID crisis. And some of the my integrator friends had to shrink prior to COVID. So I don't, I, you know, from my perspective, I think our specialties, uh, technology, once you started getting out there a little bit more, I think that uh, there's a bigger market out there. And so I, I don't think you, you're winning because there's less. I just think you're winning because you have uh, a better product. Once you've got some, you know, some time to, to reach out to other areas, uh, I think they were more receptive. I think that uh, conceptually, what you do eventually is going to be a lost art. I mean, because uh, I think that a lot of the, you know, you've been working at this for decades, and you've been refining it. And that's a tremendous amount of knowledge that you have. New companies that start up don't have that level of knowledge. If I had to do any of the kind of work that you're doing now today, I would prefer to go to somebody like yourself who's been around the block 180 times than I'd go to the integrator that maybe only has five years experience. No, and I want to say this, the integrators have five years experience, you're doing fine. It's just that I want to go to the guy that's got this rich, deep knowledge. And that would be my preference. So that's my opinion is, is why you're thriving is because if customers have a choice, they're going to go to somebody just with a deeper base. Okay, well that's that's encouraging. You know, I don't want to. I don't want my competition to fail. So I'm getting the impression from you that uh, a rising tide, you know, raises all ships. So I suppose that what we're seeing here is just a renaissance in manufacturing. Robots are no longer the bad guys that uh, a few people were claiming they would be. I think that this whole COVID thing also showed us uh, how frail our supply chains are overseas. And so maybe we need to onshore some of our our manufacturing back here. And if it's uh, dull, dirty, dangerous jobs that Americans don't do, the robots don't seem to mind at all. So I'm going to take that as a, as a, as a positive, what you just said, and, and just say that we're, you know, American industry is coming back. Uh, I, I believe so. I'll give you some examples here. I'm finding some very, very small manufacturing that normally would have been probably shipped to Mexico or China staying here. Uh, There's a company that makes, uh, uh, there's a couple of companies that make belts, okay? And they could have easily had these belts made in China, okay, for a cheap price. But they stayed in the U.S. and they bought some robots that are helping them in the manufacturing of these belts. And those are becoming a little bit more frequent than I'm beginning to see. So sometimes it's not even reshoring. Sometimes it's just never leaving. And so there is a trend, and I believe it will will catch on. 
So the ability to make shoes and belts and clothes in the U.S., it's happening. Now, grant you, believe me, when it comes to, 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 to textiles, China, you know, India, they're no slouches. They're able to make, make these products typically a lot less, a lot cheaper. But there's something to be said about being able to manufacture in the USA and stamp it USA. I love to wear items that are made in the USA. But I also want to say that that's also true for any country. If you're in Germany, you like to wear German products. Okay, you like to buy German products. And the same goes with any country. So the idea of making things locally, there is, there is a push for that. Uh, and there's a want for it. But how, do you, how are you able to compete with the low-cost structure that is going on, say, in a country like China? Automation. That's the Automation. only way to do it. If you want to make, it's the only way. Yeah, if you want to make th- ten times as much as somebody in a in a in a foreign country, then you have to be ten times as efficient because the consumer won't pay ten times as much just because you're American. Right. People are willing to pay a small premium. Right. For what they think is a higher quality item, and these people who make these belts and these shoes and, and these, when I see these products uh, out there, uh, they look good and they're sharp. And so the bottom line is, is that people are willing to pay a small premium, but it's got to be small. And the only way to keep that premium from getting out of control is automation. I absolutely agree with that. And one other thing I'm going to say that is controversial, uh, and I've said this before, and I've gotten different kinds of feedback for it. We, robotics, the integrators, there is not going to be enough integrators to help us through this manufacturing surge that is has started and is going to keep going. Integration is going to be in, in short supply. Well, there's an article in the uh, Wall Street Journal this morning talking about how quickly China is in making advances in robotics. I thought it was interesting that they didn't mention the, the KUKA purchase, but it, it just said, I think the last line was something about the uh, Japanese and European robots need to keep an eye out for the Chinese robots. So integration will be offshore too. And so I think that will fill in some of this deficit you're describing. Yes. And that's already happened. There are Korean, uh, Chinese, uh, even integrators out of South Africa that are in the U.S. and and doing business. That still isn't isn't going to, to cover us. When you integrate for your customers, they like to know that they can access you and that you're local. Yep. There's a huge benefit for that. And there's going to be a big want for it. So there isn't going to be enough integrators. It, it, we're going to get a shortage here. And uh, my prediction is probably as early as 2022. Well, you know, but I'm in 32 different countries because, you know, uh, there are not a lot of integrators that can do some of the stuff we do. And, and uh, right. so we're in the, and, and this is an interesting thing that happened this last month. We had to do a controls retrofit, which is a very challenging deal to when you try to put a new brain on a, on a system. And we had to do it in China. And there would have either been a two-week quarantine uh, upon the arrival of my engineer, or we could do it remotely. We managed to do our first controls upgrade remotely. And so wow. uh, that's that's technology right there, allowing us to get away with that. You know, we did it online, we you know, a lot of Skype, and uh, but we managed to pull it off. You know, it's a global economy, and I applaud that. I think everybody deserves a job. Everybody deserves an opportunity to make a life for their family. So I, I do not have a problem with competition. As I've heard, it improves the breed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the sad thing is you're correct in that we don't want to have to 
compete, but by having to compete, it forces us to improve. And so it's sort of like my mother screaming at me, you eat your vegetables. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't want to eat my vegetables. So competition is your mother screaming at you about your vegetables. Well, if you ventured off into into a gray area there, I didn't think you went that far. Uh, uh, Here, I'm going to put one out that's more controversial. I think the incoming administration wants to raise minimum wage. And I think there is a direct correlation between increases in minimum wage and the number of robots that are purchased. So I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, you know, for poor America, I'm afraid that the uh, increased minimum wage is really a law that's uh, going to increase robot utilization. It's not. It's, it's a piece of a small, a small piece of a of a bigger puzzle that's causing us to see autom- uh, automation as a as a bigger need. You know, when manufacturers uh, buy a robot, they do an ROI, okay? And, you know, the return on investment. So, yes, anything that causes labor in any way to get more expensive causes, it it makes an ROI calculation a little bit better for robotics. But it's a small piece of a a huge puzzle. And um, there's a lot more that goes on in, in the robot purchases that I think are actually better in a sense that they're, they're more viable. Uh, the three Ds are critical. Okay, dirty, dangerous, and dull, right? They're absolutely critical. When you hit all three Ds, it becomes almost a no-brainer, right? It doesn't matter that the person got a $5 increase in, in, in labor. Typically, uh, that uh, three Ds is what drives, drives the market. And in some cases, it's two Ds. You know, you don't need all three Ds. And even that is a huge plus. It's when you, I guess, when you when you're looking at manufacturing, uh, an ROI isn't quite saying this needs to be automated. When it's that close, when it's that fine, and then you, you know, all of a sudden, health insurance goes up, and the cost of doing business because of regulation goes up, or minimum wage causing labor to price to go up. Yeah, then then it, those little fine points like that, I think there'll be some movement. Might have to add a fourth D to it: dull, dirty, dangerous, and dollars. Because if you double uh, labor rates, you know, and, and and I know I'm right, Bob. Because if you go back to automotive, what drove that uh, all of the robots getting into automotive? It's high labor cost initially. But you know, here's here's my opinion. What's the difference between a washing machine and a robot? In my opinion, it's absolutely nothing. They're both labor savings devices that improve the quality of life of everybody in the world. You know, unless you actually want to walk behind a, uh, a horse plowing your field, you're going to buy a tractor. And uh, does that replace people? Well, uh, maybe. But does it improve the quality of life? Absolutely. I'm, my point was, I, I just think that this, uh, that we're going to see some unintended consequences of this increased minimum wage. But in the end, it will be good for everyone. Yeah, and I have to say that I do agree that it's a small it's a small piece that will cause cause robots to get you know a bigger venue. You know, the other thing that is the biggest push for for robotics moving is just the increase of the importance of manufacturing in the USA. That's going to increase robots by itself. But robots are are, are not just a, a labor saver. They are they can they have a quality to them when you punch in that code and that code is accurate on that robot and the end effector that is on there it's doing its job the quality goes up because of the consistency the repeated consistency 
you know, my favorite story about that is, uh, and it's over 15 years ago, I was installing a robot way out in the country in China. And uh, back then, the cost of a welder was, was, was pennies, you know, for these people. And this robot was only going to replace one welder. And, and I was literally uh, confused by it. So I asked the folks, I said, you know, why did you buy this half million dollar machine? It's going to take decades to pay for itself. You know, where's the ROI? Where's the return on investment? And, and their comment was just amazing. They said, in order to compete in a global market, we cannot use, uh, we must use robots to get our quality up so we can sell overseas. And I thought, wow, you know, here we are, uh, you know, in rural China and they get it. And yet in some places in America, they still don't get it. They don't realize that it's a global economy. And in order to compete, you have to be efficient and you have to have quality. And both of those come from robotics. But mm -hmm. I, I think the truth is becoming apparent to a lot of uh, American companies that, you know, this it's uh, automate or perish. Yes. And, and I believe I believe that is that is the case. And, you know, the new, new administration that's coming in, you know, has given some speeches that basically say that, look, we recognize the need for manufacturing. We need I mean, from a case of security, from a case of what if I mean, the supply lines got a little bit of a shock over through the crisis here. So I think there's going to be a while there may be a, a in a sense you you mentioned if the administration raises the uh, minimum wage they're helping the robot market right so but uh, the point is uh, just the general push to manufacture more locally is probably going to be the biggest driver for robotics worldwide so you don't have to have one plant you know in China that manufactures for all the world you know, you could have four plants located in the highest uh, volume areas. So I see that as a, as a, as a huge, a huge push, this local, and it's not going away. It's not going away. This whole concept of, of, of manufacturing locally. Well, I agree with your uh, forecast. I think it's going to be a great year. I can tell you right now, my, my backlog is up better than it's been in two years. And we have some huge orders pending. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good about the, the near future, uh, and I think that bodes well for, uh, you know, ATI, uh, the robots that I buy, as well as American industry. And anytime we improve people's lives by taking them away from the dull, dirty, dangerous jobs, I think that, that benefits everyone. So uh, I'm with you. I'm going to be optimistic about this year. We're going to have to get back together and talk again. Are there any other points you wanted to bring out today, Bob? That we well, missed. first of all, what's interesting is some of the really super cool technologies that we're all tinkering with. And one of the most coolest is, is what, is what uh, some of the work you've been doing in medical. Your, your work is an example of some of this research that we're, uh, we as companies have been doing in the background that uh, are going to make a big difference long term. So I thought I thought you might want to, if you want to discuss just for a minute some of the kind of cool stuff you're doing there. Uh, and the medical is a lot of fun, you know. And and there's no higher calling than than medicine because you know that's that's how you improve people's lives. And so I feel pretty good about that. Uh, but I I got in uh, got into a partnership with a, a superb orthopedic surgeon who also happens to be a, a businessman and an entrepreneur. 
And his problem is when they're doing total knee replacement, he can't hold, I don't think any surgeon can hold uh, better than around two millimeter accuracy. And, you know, in, in your or my world, uh, if you can't hold better than two millimeter hard accuracy, you're out of business. And, and that's what I told the doc. And he said, well, prove it. And so with robotics, you know, we're an order of magnitude more accurate. And I, you know, the doc I'm working with happens to do 600 surgeries a year. This guy is superb. People come to him for the revisions. And the revision is when the first operation uh, done by somebody mm. else didn't go so well, you know. And so wouldn't it be cool to take the precision of a robot and take the talent of my surgeon and combine them? And that's what we're doing. So we're mm. taking his techniques and the precision of a robot, you know, the robot never has tremors. It's always accurate. And uh, so we're, we've done, uh, you know, some tissue labs. That's, that's the euphemism for cadavers. And uh, it's working pretty well. We're uh, achieving our goals and constantly adding to the technology. And we're going to be using your tool changers because, you know, while we're in the operating room, we're going to need multiple tools. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's exciting times. But that's just an example of analogous thinking. What's the difference exactly. between machining, you know, a widget and machining a knee? To me, there's no difference at all. Uh, and see, that story that you just said, that amazing story is being repeated by a thousand other com robotic type companies. And uh, we have similar story to, to that as well. Uh, for example, who would have thought that there would be uh, a push for electrical Planes, electrical planes. Seems impractical, but I was wrong. Where they can come to your house, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you get picked up and you can go to work and all. Now, that sounds like a fantasy, but I'm selling product to these companies. And some of my product, you know, has to be fairly advanced. For A lot of it's R&D right now. But that's the kind of cool stuff that you and I get to see Behind the scenes, that's what's uh, the big benefit in robotics is there is so much fascinating technology that's real that we all thought was in the comic books. Right. And, 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 and I'm speaking to the young roboticists out there now that, that may be listening. Uh, what we do at ARC is we look at advances in technology, and a lot of that comes from the consumer segment. Uh, for example, in order to make music compact enough to fit on an, an iPod, you need something called digital signal processing technology. And so you take analog data, that's music, and you compress it using DSP technology, and then you can store it. And then with DSPs, you convert it back to analog and you get to listen to your music. And so what in the world does that have to do with robots? Everything. Because our world is nothing but analog data. That's uh, whether that's velocities of a servo motor or amperage of a welder, that's all analog data. And then we have mm -hmm. to compress that, you know, collect it, compress it, store it, and then convert it back into analog data again. And so some of the most advanced motion control systems now are built on DSP, digital signal processor technology. And that came from the music industry. Wow. Some of the most advanced welders are based on DSP technology. So you've really got to keep an open mind and you got to start using that analogous thinking that I keep harping on. You got to look at what uh, the commercial sector has done, you know, all the cool stuff they're doing with new 3D sensors and such. And then once they sell tons of them, guess what? Price goes down and then we yep. can use them in industry. Absolutely.
absolutely fascinating technology that's out there. And you and I get to live it because we're on the cutting edge already, you know, being in, being in our industries. I can tell you, this has been a, a dream career. Uh, I'm so, so happy to be in. And now here it is 2021, and we're going to get the best of both worlds, a growing market and a growing technology. Bob, I got to get you back on again, because this is always fascinating. I always learn something when I talk to you, because you, like I said, you've got the whole global view of the world because you're into everything. You know, you don't just talk to us oil field guys, but uh, all the robotics people. So uh, I, I gain a lot. I, I hope our audience has enjoyed today. And uh, if you do, uh, send us a note and we'll try to get Bob back on on, on a regular basis. I like you, Dan. I love talking to you. Uh, I especially do like uh, uh, your ideas. Very appreciative. Well, we'll keep keep uh, providing the new technology. Bob was mentioning the uh, the uh, the new stuff he's doing with material removal. It's kind of ironic, but uh, some of the simplest tasks in the world, like sanding and polishing and grinding, are some of the hardest ones. And so, uh, with a combination of these uh, new sensor technologies we're getting from the uh, commercial sector and uh, some of the hard industrial stuff that Bob's providing where they actually, you know, where the sander meets the road, so to speak, uh, you know, we're getting into that. So yeah, we'll be working together on a lot of projects in the future and I look forward to it. I do too. Thanks for being on the Roboticist Chronicles today and we will be in touch. Thank you, Dan.